0: Hello, and welcome to another amazing episode of Ordinary Celebrity. Before we dive in today, I wanna to remind you that you can access Ordinary Celebrity at ordinarycelebrity.us, which is hosted by Anchor FM. One of the cool features of Anchor is it allows you to leave voice messages or comments. They're on the website that I can incorporate into future episodes. So I wanna encourage you to stop by, leave a voice message, or some thoughts or ideas for potential future interviews and future episodes with all that being said today i get to interview and talk with jamie sanchez she is on the faculty of biola university she has a phd from virginia tech and as a faculty member there she's the program director of the phd in intercultural studies in the graduate department she is also teaching a class about refugees in our world today which is profound because part of our conversation centered around the refugee crisis in our world and june 20th today when the episode dropped is world refugee day declared so by the united nations so it's appropriate for us to highlight that today you're going to get to hear everything from the importance of discipleship and the personal strategy that Jamie uses to talking about refugees to also talking about her love for adventure. She's probably one of the most intentional people I know about investing in relationships, but also taking time to explore this amazing world. You'll get to hear about a bucket list place that Jamie wants to visit. So, with all that being said, let's launch into today's episode. Jamie Sanchez, welcome to Ordinary Celebrity. I'm so excited that you're able to join me on this afternoon. And I think for you, it's probably still morning out there on the West Coast.
1: Yeah, late morning, 11 a.m.
0: All right. Well, I am so thrilled this is working out. Jamie, uh, as I introduce you to my vast podcast audience,
1: yeah.
0: uh, Jamie and I are friends that go way back. Uh, Jamie moved here to Blacksburg, Virginia. And Jamie, you got your PhD here at Virginia Tech while you were here. Uh, great friend to me and Carolyn, uh, highly involved in our local church family. Uh, some of the things that make you unique that we'll be talking about on this episode is just your relational intentionality and also your vision for discipleship and how that impacts everything that you do. So welcome to Ordinary Celebrity. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you're doing these days, kind of give us your CV uh, orally, and just tell us a little bit about your experience and your position there in California.
1: Sure, Uh, well, I'm glad this finally worked out. I know we've kind of touched base about getting to this point for a bit and scheduling has finally allowed that to happen. So thank you, glad to be part of this um, widely listened to podcast. Um, Yes, I live in Southern California in Orange County so outside of LA County, I'm faculty at Biola University. I have been here, believe it or not, for six years. So as soon as I finished my PhD, I got this job, I moved out here for the job. Um, and I teach in the School of Intercultural Studies in the graduate department. I'm also the chair of the graduate department, with, which comes with some administrative responsibilities. I teach classes like uh, research methods, how to you know do the work that they need to do to get their d- dissertation done. And then topics classes, one of the classes I'm teaching this summer is on refugee studies. So that's a brief summary of the things that I do here at Biola. It's hard to believe it's been six years.
0: Uh, It's very hard to believe it's been six years. I feel like it was just yesterday that you were here. Yep. Um, So let's let's begin with talking about discipleship, if we could. Sure, yeah. So um, when, I know you were highly influenced by a former BSU or BCM director. Yep. Uh, But tell me when discipleship became part of your spiritual DNA as far as both receiving and then making a commitment to being a disciple maker.
1: Yeah, and and you're right. It was then in college. I mean, I was kind of raised in the church, although not raised in a Christian home. So my my parents um, would drop me off at church and I I would be involved there. And there were certainly some of those discussions, but I was too young to really understand kind of the purpose or... Um, values that were embedded in some of the things that were going on. But as I continued to grow in my faith and I got to college, it was very intentional. I was involved in a campus ministry. Um, I think it's now called Christian Challenge. It's part of the Southern Baptist Convention's uh, work in, on campuses at New Mexico State University. And one of the values of that ministry is discipleship, one-on-one discipleship. And so it was there that I really began to understand a little bit more of what that could look like in my life, the intentionality of actually discussing things each week, um, accountability, the fellowship that comes with that, just walking alongside somebody. Um, so when I received that, then I, I began to catch, catch the vision for then doing that in my own life. And that's changed a little bit over the years. When I moved overseas after college, um, it wasn't any longer one on one. That's a that's a great value and works really in a Western system, but I was in Asia and people do things in groups. And so suddenly I was able to multiply my influence from one on one to one on dorm dorm room. Maybe there were six people who had come. It was funny because in my first few years I get so frustrated. I, I tell my colleagues, I'm like, man, I asked you to bring. Just herself, come to lunch, we talk, and she showed up with five people. And then it dawned on me. I was mean, like, oh, wait, that's actually good, right? It, it changes the dynamics and how I handled myself. Uh, but it's, it's okay if five other people are listening to the same kind of important discussions. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where I captured that, and that's how it's played out. Uh, In my life. Here in this season of life, I don't get to do it as much. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm on a college campus and so I'm around people, but uh, I teach in a kind of distance program. So my times with people is uh, intermittent um, in some ways. Yeah.
0: So you and I both are familiar with people who would say they are church members or they've grown up in the church, but when you say, Have you ever been discipled? Sometimes we might get a blank look. Mm. Uh, how what in reflecting on discipleship in a local church environment what are some things that a local church from your observation can implement to be more intentional about making sure that every member at least understands and knows the significance of coming alongside another believer to grow and learn in their faith
1: yeah it's i i've uh, come to realize that that it, the word might mean different things to different people sometimes the word is kind of embedded in a methodology mm-hmm. and so when somebody changes locations as many of us do due to work or whatever they might say oh, okay we're no I've never been discipled because this is what discipleship means and so the method or the content or all that stuff is is relevant but it's the most important thing is have you walked in what you just said walked with somebody intentionally. In, in your faith. And so there's a few things that are important, intentionality, so is there a regular engagement with one another, whatever that looks like. Sometimes it's once a week, sometimes it's once a month, depending on schedules. Is there a focus? What is it that you're looking at doing that it can't just only be a chat session? Chat session is important, um, but there's gotta be some sort of content and a goal working towards something, whatever that yeah. might be. Um, So in the church setting, I think kind of deciding what the church means by that, whether that's decided from the leadership or leadership looking kind of at the people below, right? From the ground up going, okay, well, these are some of the needs and this is our resources and how do we mix those two? And then executing that in some ways. I think from the church uh, perspective from leader, and I'm speaking, kind of guessing how, I imagine how you might feel on this. I I don't really um, have any hard data, but it seems like it would be hard to always keep that vision out in front of people because there's a changing body, changing body of believers, particularly in a place like Blacksburg. Yeah. Um, And yet I still think it's important. It's important to do. Um, There's great value, of course, in older versus younger, right? That's kind of natural. That's how we experience the world as humans. <laughs> so chronologically aged is important, but really more important than that is somebody just further along in their faith. There may be somebody who's of the same age and for, for whatever reason, life circumstances, they have something that they can offer somebody in, in the same kind of human experience age. Um, so that doesn't always have to be an older versus younger, although there's great value in that. I find that working with women is really valuable, although I've had conversations, of course, with younger men, I mean, I'm a professor who might want advice on this or that, but as far as ongoing relationship to work with with women, and that just gives kind of a safe space and talking about things that are important. I I would guess that's probably the same for for men as well. Um, Yeah, those are the things that come to mind.
0: How do you guard against, so I think we've both had experiences that you begin meeting with someone with discipleship and you want to keep content as uh, key. Mm -hmm. There are some things that you want to teach. There are some things that you want to model, things that you want to train, things that you want to expect. But the longer you meet with someone, the more you build this friendship. Yeah. And I don't know if it's lazy discipleship or if it's beautiful friendship, but somewhere along the way, it's like you said, chatting can replace uh, being intentional with communicating the gospel or truths about the gospel to the other person. Is there? Do you have any guidelines or thoughts about how to continue keeping perspective even as a discipling relationship might turn into a really beautiful friendship?
1: Yeah. It is messy, uh, for, for sure. Because I myself might have an agenda, okay, I have these goals, and I'd like to do it by this, you know, each week at this time or whatever. And life just doesn't work out that way. Right? So somebody might come into a meeting, and they've had a terrible week or two weeks since we last met. And there's something that they really need to work out. So there's flexibility, I think, on our part, those of us meeting as the discipler, to kind of see what God is doing, what things they need to to wrestle through in that moment that may not be as relevant in a couple of weeks. And so the content waits a little mm-hmm. bit. So flexibility on that. At the same time, I think there's some responsibility um, needed discernment to be able to see when somebody's avoiding or distracting <laughs> or um, not in it really seriously. There's nothing wrong with somebody who just wants the friendship, but then we can do that at some other time. And I'll use my time that I've set aside for this for somebody who might be uh, ready for. What it is that we want to engage in. Um, so I don't have a clear cut answer. I do know it's messy, but man, life's messy.
0: <laughs> I really appreciate that because I think messy is a great, great description of uh, just working with people in general. Yeah. But uh, I think it's really, it really becomes a spirit led thing in a lot of ways of just mm-hmm. knowing how to navigate and address issues as they come up, but then return back to an intentional communication of content. Yeah. and uh, listening well to know what's appropriate at certain times
1: yeah and that it really then puts the onus if there is just one onus <laughs> on the discipler it's, it's on both in, in some ways but the discipler the person kind of leading the, the group in some ways needs to be prayerful about the person they're meeting with learn how to ask good questions learn how to listen well. all those things you just mentioned um, have discernment sensitivity to the Holy Spirit it's it's a lot
0: yeah. Uh, and it's good. It's good work. Well, uh, track with me here for a moment. So let me kind of tee us up. Uh, yeah. You and I both have worked with college students. Yeah. Uh, we've both been around college campuses for years. And I think you, we would both say we really enjoy this life stage. Yeah. And maybe one of the more uh, challenging things for the church sometimes is to quit calling them college students and recognize that they're people, yeah. they're, they're young adults, that they are rich with opportunity and they're thirsty, they're hungry. It's a, it's a very strategic um, demographic to teach, to build relationships with. So where I'm going with that is we have another group of people on the planet these days that we would call refugees. Yeah, And when we label them as refugees, we tend to think of them as, as takers, it's needy or whatever. And we, as a church or as a society, we tend to neglect realizing they're people mm. full of opportunity to minister to, that they have things to contribute to our world, to our cultures, to our lives. And you are in a program that's teaching about refugee studies. And with the this war in the Ukraine and other things that are going on, I mean, we're seeing massive influxes of refugees like we have not seen in the last 20 years or so. Uh, So can you speak a little bit to your observations or maybe your passion or your interest in our refugee crisis or the reality that's happening across the planet?
1: You know, it's funny, the listeners should know that we didn't really talk about this specifically, and yet you literally are in my head. This is one of my soapbox discussion points, if if we want to call it that, of there's gotta be a different label and yet there isn't a better label to call people who are going through a refugee experience. But the label itself is just that it's for the group of people and within each group are these individuals who may have fled because of war or climate crisis or any of the other things that that are, creating groups of refugees and they didn't leave behind their identity their name their history their um probably hopefully their families have come with them their jobs their insight uh, their religions right the assumption that all refugees aren't like-minded like you and I Christians isn't true there's lots of Christian refugees Mm -hmm. And, um, and even those who aren't Christians still need help and care from people and so, yeah, that's exactly right where I, I stand on that kind of topic and what I talk about in the class. So when I was a student at Virginia Tech, I took a class called Refugees in the State. And if I could have, I would have changed my topic then. Funding, I knew funding was limited. I need to finish in a certain amount of time. So I finished, came here to Biola, asked if I could start this class and started this class. And it's resulted in some good things. I've had. Uh, three students out of my first time I taught it turned their dissertation uh, turned their research into a focus on refugees. one just finished last December He looked at um, Christian refugees who have fled North Korea and kind of their experiences and there's more to that and then two others looking at refugees in Africa. So that's kind of my my um, my history, if if you will, of how I got interested in this. I've done some work with some colleagues across the campus on this topic. And yeah, um, it's, crisis is another word is hard, right? It's, it is a crisis. And yet, refugees have been with us for a long time, but at least since World War uh, II, which is when this kind of created this this international body united nations or the high commission on refugees was established in 1951 in response to the refugee crisis in europe well here we are 70 years later and still there's crises all over the world mm-hmm. um, the number of refugees have doubled in 10 years and we're at 100 million displaced persons not all of them being refugees but that might include asylum seekers internally displaced um, those who don't leave their nation-state that are still not able to live at home. Um, And of course, the crisis in Ukraine has really brought it to the forefront in in some ways. My students from Africa would say, well, there's been crises in Africa for a while. Um, So yeah, the the crisis in in Ukraine, I mean, it's (laughs) it's just, it's horrific. Um, So yeah, that's kind of my interest in that. I kind of lost track of your question, except for to speak to that.
0: No, I think you provided some really good background and information. And it's really clear that uh, I don't know, I think we're sinking a little bit on the topic. But I mean, without saying here's some policy adjustments that need to happen, because uh, I think we would all say we've got to do something different than what we're doing as a nation and as a world. But what are some things that the church how can the church subtly adjust its posture to learn and to receive and to see what's developing as opportunity for, you know, we can go back to discipleship or we can talk about evangelism, but uh, you mentioned there's Christians who are being displaced in record numbers as well. And they have so much to bring and so much to offer the worldwide church. Uh, So, what are some adjustments that you see a local church can make?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you made that clarification in the class I teach uh, because I'm not political science trained. We don't go into all of that. It's, it's a lot. Um, And so we kind of look at current situations and then we look at the scriptures to kind of inform a little bit of how we think about refugees. And that may be something the church can do. It can be something like specific examples uh, Naomi and Ruth, of course, they were in one place, displaced for 10 years, lost their whole family during this displacement, had to come back. Um, that's, a, that's a key story. And there's some of that throughout. Um, but I've started to look at these kind of reflections, the theological reflections on this topic to in, inform us a little bit. And I think that can be done in the church, too agency, right, of people, which is kind of where we started this conversation, that they're people, they're not just objects or agendas or no-name entities. Mm -hmm. Um, We really talked a little bit about the Imago Dei. Mm -hmm. Um, Often, we, the church, talks about caring for others because they're made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, which is a great truth, and it's a good way to begin this conversation there's nothing wrong with that one of my students flipped it and said no and I think she got this from the text I I had have to look it up but she said no we don't care for others because they're made in God's image but because I am Mm -hmm. made in God's image he cares for people wow that's profound yeah right and so we've been thinking about that a lot Um, as a class about what are my responsibilities if I'm going to mimic how God cares for people and caring for people. Um, I don't have specific actions for each church. It depends on, although my guess is refugees are probably being placed in a variety of places all over including Blacksburg, certainly here in Orange County. Um, But it can be everything from getting to know refugee settlement agencies and volunteering to offering spaces in the homes um, for refugees to stay or job training. One of my, um, one of my grad school um, classmates, he was a few years behind me at Gateway Seminary. He graduated a while ago, right, as we did, and has started a coffee shop, 1951 Coffee, which you can find online. It's in Berkeley. And he and his, his colleagues, it's not just him who started it, but they train refugees in job skills. And so getting the job skills and they can go into the coffee industry and have a career. Um, Not to say that none of these refugees had job skills before they did, but due to a variety of things, they may not be able to get in the same position, right? If you're in a a lawyer or medical professional, there's other certifications that might be challenges. So those are just some of the things, kind of thinking that the way we think about refugees and embedding that into some discussion in the church and then practical steps, whatever the context there might ask for.
0: I think that's really helpful, especially from the, like, you got the biblical foundation of examples of what we would call refugees, and you have the theological foundation of we're supposed to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So in some ways, we are refugees here. We're supposed mm-hmm. to just be passing through, and this world is not our home. Um, but then from a practical level, are you aware of any like uh, resources to read, to watch that's accessible to?
1: There's a new book that just came out um, in the last few months. I, it, in fact, I just put it into my class. It's called Refuge Reimagined or Refugee Reimagined, um, and it's an IVP press book. Okay. Let me look it up real quick. Um, it's by Glanville, two Glanvilles, Luke and Mark Glanville. Okay. The full title is Refuge Reimagine, Biblical Kinship in Global Politics. It doesn't really talk about global politics, although there is some mention of that, but it's really thinking through how to think about refugees from a Christian perspective and thinking that the frame of it is kinship, that there's kinship with people. Um, which is kind of what we talked about a little bit in starting this right uh, conversation that they're part of the community how do we reach out to them how do we involve them in work
0: I'm going to make sure to link that book in the podcast notes so that people can grab that and check that out Uh, thanks for sharing your heartbeat on that I always respect your thoughts and when I saw on your job description that you're doing international, not international, but refugee studies, I was really, really deeply intrigued and...
1: Yeah. Um, it's, um, you know, the refugees entered the academy. So from the academic perspective, entered the academy, you, you know, around the fifties. And it's really kind of housed out of Oxford um, in Europe, but in the States, more and more, more and more United States universities are looking at them and have for a while. And yet, um, I don't see it as broadly investigated, so to speak, Mm -hmm. from a Christian perspective. And so hoping as an academic scholar with a Christian perspective, who's a Christian, right, to bring some scholarship in on that so that we're aware and and that it can, you know, we don't wanna be in a, a, what's the term that they use? Just kind of the tower, the academic tower where nothing's accessible. So what we do matters. How can we produce stuff that is important in the academy, but also make it accessible for practitioners, whether we're the practitioners ourselves or we share it with others to be able to make a difference. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, I wanna to talk to you about one other thing that I know is a love of yours. And I just call it this love of adventure. It just seems like every other day you're doing something exotic, fun, adventurous. Uh, speak to me about just when you, became intentionally adventurous or is that something you've always been or is that just something you're like you know life's short I'm gonna go for it
1: yeah it's a mix of things part of it is just personality makeup in some ways right depending on which test you want to look I can give you the different perspective okay so
0: for the audience I mean what's your Mars briggs ESTJ and what's your Enneagram eight eight all right oh eight. gosh you know yeah. I'm surrounded by eights
1: yeah, I know you are in your home.
0: Madeline, Carolyn, yeah. And I'm number one. I just oh, remind them I'm number one.
1: You're one. That's perfect. <laughs> um, so yeah, so some of it is is just personality makeup. Some of it is I didn't do a lot of that as a child. Different circumstances, it just wasn't uh, opportunities, weren't there? So um The other part of that is when I lived in Asia, you know, recreation wasn't always a thing in the part of Asia I lived in, and so I had to make the most of the time wherever I might be that afforded those. So there's that. Um, As far as hiking, which is most of the adventures I do, fell in love with that in Hawaii when I was there for college, but then also there in Virginia. I mean, we're surrounded by this beauty, and so it was an easy way to get exercise and connect with people, right? It's kind of twofold often I'll connect groups to go hiking and they're like, what about this, 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 this on the hike? I'm like, yeah, we are doing that, but really that's the vehicle for us to talk about things that are important to us. So we're doing both things at the same time, life on life. Um, And some of it's urgency. Uh, Some of us probably have a renewed sense of urgency after this season of life. Mm, COVID has been part of that. I myself has had some personal losses and so this renewed sense of, wow, we got to make the most of it. As far as my daily stuff, it looks like I'm at these exotic places that I am, right? Southern California, it makes me really grateful for those who are like working (laughs) with green space Uh, because it's like 10 minutes from my house. I should put pictures on on Instagram with no filters, right? Not at sunset or something like that. Um, So that's where that comes from. Um, Love of travel, being able to do different travels is just from living overseas. Again, having limited opportunities uh, growing up. And then once I got a taste of it gone, that is not only is it fun, but I learn a lot. Um, not just facts, right? I, the facts are important, but I learn compassion and engagement and humility when I get lost and have to ask for help. Those are things that, that we try to fight against. And yet in some ways, if we're engaged in those things that, that are, actually end up making us stronger in our weakness in some ways, they're, it's good.
0: What's one of your favorite places that you've been, that you can go back to in a
1: heartbeat? Morocco. Really? Yeah. Morocco was surprising. I went with a friend to visit one of my disciples, actually, who was there serving for a couple of years with an organization. Um, And I don't remember when this was. It was years ago. And it was surprising. I didn't know what to expect. It's a Muslim country. Um, But in Morocco, the women are wearing, like, full burqas and tie-dye. So I was like, oh, okay, these women are like, fine, I'll play your game, but I'm gonna show my personality too. So I appreciated kind of their oomph, trying to think through what it is that they had to experience in their lifetime um, as a woman in that country. It was also beautiful and it was kind of folkloric. Like we were at this one city square and there was like a snake charmer and then a man selling real teeth. And it was just all the things that feel not real and it was we were just walking through it yeah so, Yeah, that's one of the places
0: do you have a bucket list place right now
1: Croatia um I also want to drive the coast of um Portugal I want to ride a camel in Egypt it's terrible because I'm such a strong jay on the Myers-Briggs in fact I just sent a message to somebody else in Virginia it's my Virginia day somebody had sent me a Marco Polo and I replied And I was like, nobody send me any more lists because when I see lists and I have to complete it, it's kind of exhausting. (laughs) So yeah. that's your eightness. I gotta (laughs) check it off. Yeah. So grateful for the opportunities to travel. It's been hard the last couple of years for a variety of reasons, but, you know, we weren't able to do those things. Yeah.
0: So, uh, you and I began chit-chatting before the podcast started, and we were talking about Top Gun, Um, and those people who have listened to the introductory episode of Ordinary Celebrity might remember that one of my goals for doing this podcast is one day to be able to sit across face-to-face, have a one-hour cup of coffee with Tom Cruise. He's my celebrity crush. I don't know why, but that's who it is. But. We talked about this movie and just how tremendous it was. 30 years later, mm-hmm. um, what what did you enjoy most about Top Gun? What what sewed it all together for you?
1: It was long anticipated. I knew it was supposed to come out for, for three years. It was supposed to come out in June the first time, because I remember, because my birthday's in June, and that was going to be my birthday thing. COVID interrupted it, and so it was long anticipated. That was part of it. But really, I don't know that they could have done much to make it better. It was the right mix of a nostalgia. In fact, um, somebody posted on Facebook, oh, I, I knew those things were going to happen. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> that, that was the point. It felt safe and familiar and a reconnection. Um, there's a strong hero, right? Which, that, who doesn't like a strong hero? It was, it was good. There's heroic themes, all in a faulty character, which um, I'm sure that we can connect with. Um, and it was just big. I mean, it was what you want in a summer blockbuster film, right? It was big on the screen. It was big noise. It was, it was good.
0: It was, so good. Uh, it was we, so good. We thoroughly enjoyed it as well.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I keep hoping that somewhere, someone with the seven degrees of separation will say, oh, yeah, my next door neighbor cat sits for so and so, the studio head's best friend. Yeah. And so I keep thinking that somehow, some way Tom Cruise is going to watch. So this could be the podcast that he watches or listens to um, and he's going to meet you. He's going to meet me and he's going to say, I got to have a cup of coffee with Jeff Noble.
1: Oh, my gosh. You know, one of the things that celebrities do nowadays, first of all, that's one good plug for Instagram because you can just follow his account and figure out where, right? But celebrities do like these, hey, 15 minutes with so-and-so via Zoom for 500 bucks for a uh, uh, whatever charity that's the way in is finding out what charity he's going to give to either that or being an accident where he is because he goes and saves people rescues somebody from a fiery whatever right that's like his thing so <laughs> you can do it i don't want
0: to cause an accident i just want to be there
1: you just have to be in it yourself <laughs> don't, don't cry, just trip and fall or something <laughs> Oh, Jamie, well, I so appreciate
0: you spending some time with me this afternoon. I'm excited that you get a little bit of downtime over the next couple of weeks. And uh, I can't think of someone, you know, I contacted you last year and was saying you are someone that I would love to celebrate because there's so many things that are intentional about you, your love for Jesus, your love for people, the way that you weave both of those loves together so intentionally and beautifully. Uh, you're just a perfect fit for ordinary celebrity. I uh, love you, have a ton of respect for you. Um, so thanks for spending a little bit of time with us.
1: Well, I could say the same thing back. Um, it was great to be a part of it, but the Nobles, uh, North Star and Blacksburg are so special to me. Um, I've been here six years and I was only there four years and the connections that I have there have not dissipated it at all. Such an important season of life. So incredibly grateful. You know, in New Testament it says, and I always think, my God, every time I remember you, that's the verse that I think of when I think of you guys. So it's good to connect with you in your uh, watermelon shirt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Jamie. We'll have a great afternoon, and I'll be keeping up with you for sure on Instagram with your adventures, and I'll be praying for you and your teaching and your ministry there. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ordinary Celebrity. I hope it's been encouraging to you. And I really hope that you'll share it with friends. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, it always helps if you'll leave a rating for it. That bumps it up and it helps other people notice the podcast as well. There will be some links in the show notes that you can visit on ordinarycelebrity.us referencing some things that were brought up during the show. So I encourage you to go by and visit those links just for some more information and as always i want to encourage you to drop by anchor fm leave some thoughts or comments or ideas about future episodes of ordinary celebrity have a great day